Ken Davis tells a story of a woman sitting at, or standing uh, at her kitchen window, looking out and to her horror, noticing that her German shepherd has the neighbor's pet rabbit in its mouth, and it's shaking it around in her yard. Um, she quickly grabs the broom, runs outside, pummels the dog till he drops the rabbit, uh, and then uh, is kind of unsure of what to do. They've been having a conflict with their next-door neighbors for a while. This is sure to make things much worse. So finally, she has an idea. She takes the end of the broom, and she uses it to lift the rabbit, and she brings it into the house, and she puts it in the bathtub, and she turns the water on, and she lets it wash until that side of the rabbit is clean. Um, by the way, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this, um, the rabbit is extremely dead, okay? Um, she, she lets the rabbit get cleaned and washed off on one side. She flips it over. She washes the other side off. Uh, and then she goes and she gets the hair dryer and she dries the bunny. And then she gets an old, old comb and she combs its fur. And then when she knows her neighbors are not looking, she runs outside, hops the fence, drops off the bunny in its um, normal cage and runs back to her house. And she thinks, I am not taking the fall for this one. But an hour later, she hears a scream, and she walks outside innocently, pretending like she doesn't know what's going on, and her neighbor runs to the fence. Her face is white and bloodless, and she says, it's our rabbit, it's our rabbit. And she says, oh, what, what happened to your rabbit? They say, um, he died, he died, he died two weeks ago, and we buried him, and now he's back. You can imagine that seeing something or someone come back from the grave after you're pretty sure they're dead and gone would be pretty, pretty shocking, right? Uh, this is the reality um, for the people of Scripture. Um, when, when the Jewish disciples of Jesus see their rabbi alive and well after his execution and burial, they are as shocked as you would be. Um, it is an overwhelming surprise. Uh, and and significantly, um, it doesn't fit in their understanding of what's supposed to happen after death. So, the Jewish people by the end of the Old Testament had this understanding that there would be a resurrection. The resurrection was what would happen at the end of days when uh, God came to earth to fix everything that was broken. Everyone who ever died would come back to life all at once, and they'd meet God together. But the idea that one person might come back in that resurrection form was not something they had ever considered. We have had resuscitations, right? We've had dead people like Lazarus or Jairus' daughter who died and came back to life, but they came back like regular people, and at some point in the future, they died again. But Jesus doesn't come back like regular people. Jesus comes back with a spiritual body. Jesus comes back um, immortal and imperishable, and the disciples are shocked, right? I mean, this is not something that they ever imagined could happen. It doesn't fit their preconceived notions about the resurrection any more than Jesus fit their preconceived notions about Messiah. The resurrection was only something they believed because they saw it with their own eyes. And as the Christian religion began to spread across Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth across the Roman Empire and to India and to Africa, uh, as it spread around the world, 
It spread on the basis of the news of the resurrection. This is hugely important. It is this one crazy idea, this shocking, unbelievable concept that this man died and then was buried and then came back to life. That was the central message that the church was built upon. Uh, C.S. Lewis says it like this in his book, Miracles. He says, to preach Christianity meant primarily to preach the resurrection. The resurrection is the central theme in every Christian sermon reported in the book of Acts. The resurrection and its consequences were the gospel or good news which the Christians brought. What we call the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the narratives of our our Lord's life and death were composed later for the benefit of those who had already accepted the good news of the resurrection of Jesus. The gospel stories were in no sense the basis of Christianity. They were written for those already converted. The miracle of the resurrection and the theology of that miracle comes first. The biography comes later as a comment on it. Nothing could be more unhistorical than to pick out the selected sayings of Christ from the gospel books and regard those as the foundation and the rest of the New Testament as a construction upon it. The first fact in the history of Christendom is a number of people who say they have seen the resurrection. If they had died without making anyone else believe this gospel, no gospel books would ever have been written. It's so incredibly important for us to recognize that just as a matter of historical fact, all of the teaching of Jesus, which is incredible and powerful and life-changing, comes um, because people believed the gospel message and said, tell us more about this man who came back to life. There were no early Christians who said, wow, um, I, I heard the, the Sermon on the Mount and I want to learn more about Jesus, right? Because the Sermon on the Mount wasn't written down until 30 years after Jesus had been risen from the dead. The gospels, the story of the life of Jesus, come because people want to know about this man who wouldn't stay dead. So, Paul comes to the church in Corinth, and he reminds them of this fact, and I think um, perhaps we need this reminder as well. Paul says, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, um, a couple of footnotes here. The first is, Paul is not suggesting that the church at Corinth does not believe in Jesus' resurrection. Again, we just said that's like the fundamental thing that everybody believes. Even the way Paul writes makes this pretty clear. Paul says, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Paul says, hey, we are all taking it as a given that Jesus died and came back. But what Paul is concerned about is they don't believe that will happen with them. Okay, this is the problem that Paul's addressing in this chapter. Paul says, hey, you already believe that Jesus died and came back. Why are you doubting that you're going to do the same? So, there are a couple of reasons that perhaps the people in Corinth are struggling with this idea, and um, they are somewhat relevant for us today as well. Uh, The first is most of the Greek religions believed in life after death in some form. But most of them believed uh, in a bodiless life after death. What I mean by that is uh, they believed, kind of like Plato taught, that the body is a shell 
in which our soul lives, that one day we will get rid of the shell, but the soul will go on and live forever. And so, you know, the body is temporary, the soul is eternal. This is, I think, still a pretty common idea today. Um, One of my worries is that the Greeks won this argument, even in the church. Even in the church today, we often think in this way. We think, oh, well, my body isn't me. Um, I am my soul, and my body is something that I have. But Paul wants the church in Corinth to understand themselves the way the Jewish people have always understood themselves, which is that God designed us uniquely and specially as body and soul together. God had already created spiritual beings. Now, if you read the first chapter of the book of Genesis, God makes, as Paul talks about in this chapter, the heavenly bodies, the angels, the moon, the sun, the stars. Um, most Jewish readers read those as um, also a metaphor for the, the angels, right? God had made beings that were just spirit. And by the time God got around to making humans, He'd also made beings that were just flesh. He'd made animals and fish and birds and things that crawl and creep on the land. And then He makes humans as something unique. Humans are made physical and spiritual. We're not one or the other, we're both. And God designed us forever to be this incredible union of the physical and the spiritual. Uh, So much soul, we've said this in the past, that your soul isn't something that's in your body. Your soul is all of you, and so your body is part of your soul. And that means uh, that we are spirit and flesh, and we we are good. According to God, that was a wonderful thing that He did with us that He does not intend to change. Uh, there are some really dangerous ideas to the, the Platonist concept of our soul being um, a temporary resident of our bodies. Uh, it makes us begin to think that there is this me apart from my physical form, and that can lead us to terrible places. It can lead us to sexual encounters that cheapen ourselves and cheapen others. It can lead us to using drugs and alcohol. It can lead us to being workaholics. It can lead us to mistreating our bodies through lack of sleep and lack of exercise, all because we have it in our heads that our bodies don't really matter. It can lead us to rejecting our bodies and who they say we are, to um, surgery to change how we look or um, who God made us to be. That can lead us to eating disorders. It can lead us to all kinds of self-harm, all stemming I think from a common source, not seeing that our bodies are us and our bodies are good. The goodness of our physical forms um, becomes even more dramatic after Jesus, right? Because after Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside us, uh, and we are no longer just body and soul, spirit and flesh. Now we're spirit and flesh and God. We've said this before, but we are uh, described in the Bible as temples of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and I think this is such a huge, important concept. We look around this room for a minute. Um, this is a room that many of us think of as especially sacred, right? We think of it as a place where we come to encounter God every week. We come to encounter God at this table. We encounter God in the waters of baptism. We encounter God through His Word and through worship and singing. But your body is more holy than this room. 
cathedrals and monasteries are nothing compared to your arms and legs and face and torso. There was once a building in Jerusalem, one building in all the world where God was pleased to dwell. And its size and majesty was one of the wonders of the world. It was destroyed almost 2,000 years ago, and we Christians never bothered to rebuild it because we have you, because we have a better temple. The bodily resurrection is critical because our bodies are part of who we are, and God has always designed us to be body and soul. The other challenge I think the early church struggled with and the people in church struggled with was a right understanding of this resurrection idea. Um, We've been working our way through 1 Corinthians this summer, and we called this series United because I think if you were going to pick one central theme other than, of course, Jesus, one central theme for the book of 1 Corinthians, it would be Paul's desire to see the church in Corinth come together in unity around Christ. Uh, They are challenged to be united uh, around their leadership and their sort of proto-denominationalism. They're challenged to be united around their sexual identity. They're challenged to be united around their freedom, and they're challenged to be united around their spiritual gifts. But Paul ends with this conversation about resurrection because it is, it is the most important aspect of what it means for us to be united in Christ. Um, there's a book called Subversive Sabbath by A.J. Swoboda, and it describes the word orientation. Really interesting. Um, the word orientation is based on the Latin word oriri. I'm probably saying that wrong, um, meaning to rise, as in the sun rises, the sun rises in the east. Early Christians gave great thought and intentionality to what they oriented themselves toward. Um, For instance, in the early church, um, altars were almost always oriented facing east towards the rising sun and um, Jerusalem. Uh, We do this in our church. Uh, We started doing it recently. When people join our church, we make them face west, the direction of the setting sun, and renounce sin, and then face east, the direction of the rising sun, and reaffirm their faith in the Messiah. For the same reason, many of the earliest Christians were buried with their feet facing toward the east. Their rationale was simple. When Christ returned and resurrected their bodies, they wanted to be standing and already facing the rising sun already facing Jerusalem, already facing their coming King. To be a Christian was and is to reorient one's entire life and death around Jesus Christ. I love this idea that… I don't think it matters, by the way, how you're buried. I'm not worried about it. But I love this idea of saying, um, I want to be buried with my feet towards the east so that when Christ comes back, the first thing I see when I open my eyes and stand up is Him. Uh, And I love this idea of the church doing that so that when we rise to meet Jesus, we rise shoulder to shoulder. We rise as one community because this is the one thing the early church got right. Other than Jesus' resurrection, um, the, the great resurrection to which we all look forward to is connected to Christ's return, and that's when we all get up together. I know as a culture, 
Um, we are hyper-focused on our individual lives and on our personal journeys, even on our personal faith journeys. Those things are good. Uh, and I know there is some debate about what happens when we die. And um, wise Christians have posited two concepts. One is you die in sort of in a temporary way. You go be with God until the resurrection. Um, one um, possibility is that you die and you kind of fall asleep uh, and then you wake up at the resurrection. But either way, um, we don't get to be fully with God and fully with ourselves until we are fully with each other. The plan has always been that when our bodies are united with our souls eternally with God, we are also united with one another. Uh, and that Jesus' return at the end of the age is not a footnote to our eternal life. It is the exclamation point. It is the moment when it begins as it is always intended to be. Uh, and this is an incredible, incredible gift uh, that in the resurrection promise, we have this unity uh, where we get to God together. Uh, Again, I have no problem with the idea that maybe um, we temporarily get to hang out with Jesus before we're reunited with our bodies, um, but I really love this concept that um, Moses is waiting on me and Elijah is waiting on me because we all one day will stand together when Christ returns to the earth and we will see our Redeemer in the flesh. And if we get that, if we get this incredible promise um, that, that eternal life is not just for me but for us, it's for this body of believers resurrected in their bodies, it changes our lives, it changes how we think about our day-to-day -day experience on this earth, it changes what we prioritize, what matters is not what has temporal significance but what has eternal significance. It allows us to do things that the rest of the world can't do because we recognize what matters and what doesn't. And it allows us this incredible capacity for selflessness. So I, I came across an art project. Um, I think this was done in 2013, and it was a large number of people who got together to do a demonstration on the beaches of Normandy in honor of D-Day. And I have a whole bunch of pictures. Will you just put the first one up? Yeah, just leave that one up for a second. So they started out with about 30 volunteers, uh, and they had these cutouts of um, bodies, and they um, raked them into the sand in Normandy. They started with 30 people. Give me the next picture. Uh, and it expanded to be uh, about 600 volunteers who actually got involved. Give me the next picture. Um, and they kept making these outlines of soldiers on the beach. And leave that one up for a minute. That's great. Uh, until they had 9,000 outlines of soldiers carved into the sand. Uh, it's incredible, right? Uh, it's called the Fallen 9000, and it was a memory of um, the incredible service and devotion to um, freedom that happened on that beach. It is also, by the way, um, I love the symbol symbolism of doing it in sand, right? How do we avoid forgetting the sacrifice of those who have made for us? Um, we don't remember it based on statues or artwork. We remember with our hearts and our minds. Um, but this grabbed me for yet another reason. Because as I was thinking about this idea of resurrection, it seems to me that this doesn't just remind us of um, the sacrifice and the selflessness of those that we look back on as heroic. 
It also reminds us of the temporariness of their lives and of their deaths. Give me one more picture. Um, obviously, um, what began to happen uh, as the tides came in is that all of, those, all of those outlines of soldiers began to wash away. And I don't know if this was the artist's intention or not, but I kept coming back to this idea and thinking, what a powerful image that for those in Christ, death is temporary. Just as the drawing of those soldiers' bodies in the sand was temporary, so too was the placing of their bodies in the dirt. That death will be washed away and that one day all those who have merely fallen asleep in Christ will be raised and death which is already on its last legs after Christ's victory will be destroyed. And we will be those who are united, the waking and the sleeping in Christ. We are those who will be united forever, and death itself will not be able to keep us apart. And then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Nothing unites us more as the people of God than the incredible promise that death is not the end for us, that in Christ we will be raised, and that nothing will separate us from Jesus and each other, not even death itself. Hallelujah. 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 Amen.